Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the American Rugby Show. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Corbicero. This is the MLR Breakdown, where we break down all of the latest MLR action results, preview the next round, are joined by none other than former US MLR Head Coach of the Year, Rob Hoadley, and the most capped eagle in USA Rugby history, Todd Clever. Before we get into it, a quick reminder to check out our State of the Union from last week. We had Matt Heaton and Chance Wingluski of Rugby ATL on the pod. It's a great insight into life behind the scenes at one of the top clubs in the MLR in Atlanta, the culture they're building, some of Chance's and Matt's own rugby journeys. Lots to take away from that. It's on the Rugby Network. It's on our YouTube page. It's on our audio if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So check that out. But now it's time for the MLR Breakdown. And now a word from our sponsor, Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbooks experts. Welcome to the MLR Breakdown, round 13. First game, we're going to talk about DC, the OGs hosting NOLA. Couldn't get it done at home. NOLA went away 25-21 to 21 victory. Holy, what do you got to say about this game? Yeah, a huge win for NOLA. As we know now, they're on the road for the rest of the season. So it's just they just have to keep winning, keep coming up with the goods each week. And I mean, going into it, what did you think, guys? They had... Uh, they had 10 changes to the starting lineup, including Carl Rogers shifting up to 10 uh, with uh, a late withdrawal of Guilherman. So, I mean, what was your reactions when you saw that team sheet? I didn't expect a win from Nola, I'll be honest. I, I thought it was the OG's game to sort of come back and find that form uh, back at home, desperate for a win after some tough results. But really credit Nola. I think they took their chances uh, at times late, later in the game and some big defensive stands to sort of, you know, hold on to their lead. I thought they controlled the game quite well early on, didn't get the most reward from it, but there were a lot of positives to the way they played. And then nothing too flash on a lot of their tries, but just, you know, found a way to score at key moments. What I think is, for me, OGs, just too many missed opportunities, had enough possession, enough opportunities to win that game and just weren't able to convert enough on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, it got, uh, it was pretty feisty throughout that game. You yeah. could tell the end of it. And uh, like you mentioned, Hodes, you know, when we were looking at sort of the, the, the preview for the upcoming weeks and I see Nola away, Nola away, Nola away. And uh, I mean, what, what a tough task uh, for that whole management, for the whole coaching, for, and obviously the players to stay healthy, to be always traveling to everything else. And uh, it's going to be tough, but that's a huge win that they came away with. Yeah, it's massive. Um, we, we kind of felt they could have been deflated after the Atlanta game uh, and the OGs had nothing to lose, really. So we thought, you know, they'd be very dangerous. And with those changes, they're going to get a whole lot of confidence now. You know, again, like Corb said, it was, it was pretty simple rugby to start. Capiello uh, ran through the OG halfbacks. It was poor tackling, really. Uh, Hanno Dirksen was ridiculous on the day. He had 183 metres. I mean, like, literally, 100 metres is like you've had a hell of a day if you've got 100 metres running. 180? I mean, it's phenomenal. You, just, you rarely see that. Just line um, breaks for fun, wasn't right. it, Rob? Line breaks for fun. I think some of them are running out of his way. Um, Speaking of line breaks, did you guys see th Threaten's try? I mean, the big man carving, the stepping, the balance. I mean, I was... I mean, I've been watching that guy playing with his uh, with his brothers, knows father from from way back, and and him still doing it out there. I mean, that was one of uh, got to be close to getting the try of the week. But I know uh, I know we have something other in store for. Uh, There's for another our, competition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, mate, it was vintage threaten, threaten at his best, going forward, beating def offenders. The Duke jive. I think. 
can't remember one of the defenders he just absolutely leaves for dead where he, where he breaks the line almost trips himself up getting past them but it, it was really really impressive it may have been Dirksen I, I think Dirksen was so used to running forward the other direction <laughs> that he, he couldn't stop it's exactly Dirksen you nailed it mate that guy that that they cracked me up a little bit um and then one other thing detail I like from that game uh was the Mason pick and go try but I got a shout out uh, the front row, a diva there. If you watch on that try, I think there's a behind shot that shows it really well. The way he actually picks and engages the first defender before he gives that pop, absolutely love that. Simple details, but it's just about fixing the man and then creating the space for him. Sometimes in pick and go, I feel people always pop from the base and it, other than shifting it a little bit wider, it doesn't always you know, interest a defensive line where by just by taking that little step to bite that guy, it allows Mason to have the numbers advantage to go through that hole. So for a, for a pick-and-go level like myself, it was good to see that. Yeah, I don't think Tongawi would be too uh, too pleased with his tackle attempt there on that one either. It's, um, it seemed to be a bit of a feature of the game. And uh, actually, you, talk, you know, we're talking about threat in there, but, um, you, you know, the game could have turned on just before half-time. Uh, the OGs had a lovely chip-and-collect uh, Threaten just got brought down. He had a he had an offload opportunity off the ground, which got intercepted. And if you look at it, four point difference. That that you know, obviously the game's going to change a lot from there. But um, that could have been telling in the game. Um, and then just running down some of the stats here. I know I mentioned tackling a couple of times, but some of the stats are incredible here. If you look at Nola winning the game, and like we're saying, going away from home, late changes in the lineup, ten overall changes. They had. Uh, OGs had 68% possession, 58% territory. They won 18 lineouts compared to seven for Nola. But here's the key thing. They made 70 tackles, OG, which is a low tackle count. They missed 26, that's 73% tackle completion. And that's, is that kind of like, we're not in the playoffs. So that's, we're not in the playoffs tackling. You know, you may tackle with a bit more hostility and ferociousness if you think you're playing for something. I don't know. Because, um, you know, uh, Nola missed a few as well, but they made 128. So they made 128 at 80%. Uh, OG made 70 only at 73%. Um, so, yeah, the, the stats favoured um, Nola. And also Nola gave away 19 penalties and three yellow cards. So it's actually phenomenal that the OGs lost when you look through that, except for their missed tackles. Yeah, I mean, you know, with that win, that makes uh, Nola tied for third place. What do you guys think about them going forward? Do they they have a shot? I mean, obviously, we talked about the tough run being on the road, but I mean, uh, you know, playing with 14 men down for a, a huge chunk of the game, almost half the game, uh, do you think they have a shot in making the top two? Well, the thing is, we say the away uh, schedule, but they go to Toronto next week, which, as we keep saying, isn't really an away game. It's a neutral game. And Toronto have completely run out of gas. So if they just sneakily, they win this game and they pick the next one, they're bang in there. Um, and again, then maybe they get a couple of lads back fit um, and they could be the dark horses. You know, we said last week we think it's going to be tough for them. Um, but, but it remains to be seen. They had JP Duplessis on the bench here. Uh, Dev Short on the bench so they can come on and bring energy they could come in and start Hanno Dirksen's now obviously uh, you know living up to his uh, reputation so who knows who knows they could sneak it Dominguez again he made 80 metres he's a constant menace so what do you think Corbs? I think it's an uphill battle for them to, to, to get in the playoffs, but I agree with your reasoning of how they could potentially do it. I think it will depend on other people more than themselves. Like The best thing they can do is just keep winning. It's going to be hard on the road and that consistency. Uh, when they lose Cam Dolan uh, for those Eagle games as well, I do worry about their line out going even more, uh, like you know, driving off a cliff at times because he, he's really holding that together for them at the time. So I think that there's potential for a few little worries as, as Canada and, and US call-ups come for a strong finish. So I think it's an uphill battle for them. But if someone drops off in the East from that, maybe that top three of, of New York, uh, Atlanta, and then the Free Jacks sort of hovering behind there. They they are a potential like spoiler to the to one of those three uh, bit or two of those three making it through. In my opinion, yeah. You just look at it and say, in a similar position, you'd favour New England because they got the home games. Yeah. Nola have got all, all on the road, so that's that's the only splitting thing there. And then one of the top two has to really fall away badly, which you can't really see happening at the moment. 
Um, and then just on the other side of it, I think that probably the spark was Deontay Noble, right? At the end, at the end of the game, uh, he came on three carries for 90 meters. Like if you're averaging 30 carries, uh, 30 meters a carry, that's not bad sledding. Um, maybe, uh, maybe he'll get a start next week. He was a real spark when he came on, mate. Like, there's no doubt about X Factor that guy possesses. And it was it was on show there. Christian Wade-esque at times, how dangerous he looks to me. He's a, he's a real sort of, you know, one to watch, sort of diamond in the rough player there. A lot to continually work on his game, that he can be an out-and-out -out starter for you. But there's certain things that player can do that you can't teach. <laughs> Yeah, and why not get him experience, you know? I think they've only won uh, four games, I think, out of uh, 12 now, four or five. And at times they've looked very good, but they just haven't put the full package together. Um, so why not use this time to get some of them young men experience going into next season? No, without a doubt. And I mean, as each of those players on, the, on those teams, I mean, you're counting down the points and you're seeing how is it possible and, uh, you know, they have lots to play for. Hopefully, you never know. It's a funny-shaped ball. Uh, but you want, you want to have each game matter. So I think uh, them seeing that, you know, it, it is numerically possible for them to make it, uh, they'll, they'll keep on turning some good, uh, good rugby out and, and some good uh, uh, product and hopefully uh, maybe sneak in there. We'll see. Pride night in Austin as they hosted Toronto and uh, – I think all everybody that put money on it was for Austin to come away with that win, but yeah. they, they put on six tries to Toronto, so they finished up at 47 to 21. Um, some good tries, and I know for sure that there's going to be a couple of gillies being drunk whenever we toss it to Corbs. Talk about this uh, this game in general, Corbsy. What are your thoughts on this one? It was a good win for Austin. I thought, you know, to, to get them scoring six tries after we've been critical of of their sort of attack and, and their ability to convert, I think was better to see. I still I still think at times, um, especially in that first half, they, they caught too many turnovers in the red zone in that 22 area for the reward. But then I felt like they've looked a bit more dangerous from further out. Some of their some of the play and, and, and the, the rugby that they're, they're doing, say, from 40 out is actually getting them a lot of the reward for their tries more than what they were doing in the 22. I like the little bit of um, I like the, the shape and the and the, the, the try from Breitenbach who got in, in the 22. I thought that was good play of converting in the 22. But but on a whole, I, I thought, you know, a bit more dangerous from out front. Still the same old, especially in that first half control territory that we've seen from Austin. Uh, a solid stand at the set piece, and then you know opened them up later in the in the in the game, and then. Let's get to it. You know, Gilly's try of the week this week has to be, uh, the, you know, the 80 meter marathon uh, from the front rower, Lerone White. I think we've got to crack these open. Uh, it's unbelievable. The intercept there and to have the gas to finish that. Fair play to him. Commits at full top speed on that intercept. He flies and he goes and he just does not stop. The big man keeps chugging all the way. So we'll chug for you, big man. Congrats to the Gilly's try of the week. Lerone White for Austin Gilgronies. Just to just add on that, in the rugby network's face. I mean, did you see what they said the week before when they when he had a break and they caught him down and they were kind of with their funny memes of uh, you know kind of throwing him on their bus. Next minute he goes, he's like, you know what? I know he watched that. I know he's like, all right, I got 80 meters to that try zone. I see that pick, read it like a book, took it to the house. Oh, good for Rome. Rome, and then uh, you know, to shut the boys up at, at the rugby network. It was so class. I loved it. How how incredible is it that you get that footage the week before, and you can make a joke out of it, and you get the exact same opportunity. The boy caught the ball on the twenty-two on his own twenty-two. He's a prop. What is going on? I, the rugby network now need to do a side by side of him and Bailey Wilson. I was just I'm about not sure to say quite that. The same speed, but. <laughs> I was just about to say, I want to see them. I want to race. I want to race now between those two. <laughs> what a legend. Oh, my day. I, I wonder, because Roach got, Roach got an intercept as well. Because, again, now, you, you, look at, you look at Austin, right? It was interesting in the first half, because they, they know the situation. They need bonus points, right? Um, so they're going, they're not, they were turning down easy kicks at goal and going for the corner. They weren't actually having a lot of success. They were still getting held out. They were, again, turning the ball over a little bit. They were getting frustrated, let's be fair. 
they weren't running on. I think they set a little bit slowly then their attack. They don't set with a lot of width and depth to stretch the defence so the defence can cope with their one-off runners. Um, but then you go, well, they scored seven tries. So where, where did they get it from? Is their attack improving? Well, they came from two intercepts, which is still great defence, including front rowers, which is amazing. Uh, a line-out drive, one line-out drive, and then three from counter-attack. Which is obviously, again, if you've got great defence and you're trapping a team high up the field, you're going to create great counter-attack opportunities. And obviously we saw uh, in the first half, uh, one uh, Elam Putik uh, after the uh, Isaac Ross uh, picking go through the middle and then offloaded. And then Akina gets his two. Uh, what, the first one of which was just before half-time. It's a brilliant brilliant bit of play by Isaac Ross where he just pulled the defender out of the way he just blocked and opened up a channel for Akina and then obviously uh, you know uh, Akina will be a bit gutted that Lerone might went 80 metres because he might have got um, try of the week this week going down the left hand touchline beating three men um, but again that's how a team like Austin get their seven tries it's still from those defensive scenarios and creating great attacking platforms from that um so fantastic for them it'll be a real conference but they must be buzzing now uh, after a win like that putting up 47 um so again they they, they march on and they, they they stay just behind uh utah and it's like it's just keeps hotting up in the west i mean that that is that is such a close race for that number two spot and, I mean, if you look at their side-by-side -side re records, I mean, they both played 12 games. They both won seven, lost five. And that what you touched on before, the only difference is, is the bonus points. Utah's played 12 games, but they have 13 bonus points. So, I mean, they, uh, you know, they know how to score tries. They know how to lose with less. They, you know, those sort of things. So, that is the difference. That's the only difference that's, uh, that, that's really going forward. Yeah, so the interesting thing now, again, is, you know, in a little while we'll look at the, the, the uh, fixtures that are coming up and make some predictions. But again, the, 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 perfect, the perfect match really for um, Austin. And then again, for Toronto, we say the same thing every week. I think there's nothing at the bottom of the well. They keep going back to the well. It's like, right, let's get some more energy out here. There's nothing there. Oh, no. They just You can't keep... Get, can't keep going back and trying to dig in for more. There's nothing there. Uh, and uh, same thing. They score three brilliant tries. You know, their backs are always creative. Richardson gets the great scrum try at the end. Uh, Lesage, uh, you know, they, they can play great attacking rugby, but they just don't have the consistency, unfortunately. No, I agree. It's tough to watch. Like Lucas Rumble sort of sums them up. You know, he is just battling through each game, trying to dig deep, trying to to find a, a will to sort of take his team through. But there's just there's just no more well to go to. I think that's a a great way to put it. And and what a crowd that uh, that Austin had out. Yeah. I know that they like I said, like I mentioned at the very beginning, it was Pride Night. But I mean, week in week out, they are uh, you know from fireworks to music to uh, the team out there. Um, and they're getting a show. I mean, that, that crowd definitely got their money's worth and, and hopefully they can continue growing uh, because they, they are definitely setting the bar along with, uh, along with Utah. Yeah, and I think it's important, Todd, because it looked incredible. Like, Austin, let's be fair, the brand, it was meaningless before the season. Like, it didn't mean anything to the people there. But it didn't, Todd, because they played at the baseball stadium where one man and his dog turned up, if you're lucky. Um, there, there was no attachment to the community. There was no excitement. And now, uh, what's our mate there that's on the sideline? Noxie. What a legend, by the way. <laughs> he loves it. Love that bloke. <laughs> He's brilliant. But they get him going. And then you see Akina being uh, man of the match and he's interviewed after the game. They've got the fireworks going off in the background. And, mate, that... It's, they've created a fantastic production there and it's it's hugely important what we do on the field and off the field um, and I think they've really moved MLR forward with what they're doing on that side uh, this year No, 100% and, and, I, and you know I had to ch chime in because obviously with my ties with Austin before um, you know with uh, previous ownership to previous management um, and how to repair I mean I know a lot of cities had hard times you know, coming in of, you know, stealing their top players, you know, you had the Huns, you had the Blacks and, and you know, okay, well, we need to make up a team of professional. So there was a lot of bitterness and, and, and Austin wasn't the only team that, that felt that. So, so I definitely understand, but it's about how you react to that community. And, and I think once, uh, once, once they understood the growing pains and they had growing pains, as, as, as you mentioned, of, of sort of the community thing, then you sort of like, you know, how can we work together? 
And a lot of cities across the, across the country have, have that. And I know, you know, being close with, uh, with LA and San Diego and, and, and seeing what they're doing in Utah, seeing what they're doing in uh, New England, and, and it goes on and on. It, it's like, okay, how can they support the community? And that's what you want to hear. You don't want to just be like, hey, we're professional. You, you, we're, you're going to show up no matter what. Um, it's, it's about sort of, you know, inspiring these young boys and girls and saying, hey, there's professional rugby. These guys can't be your heroes. They're, they're going to be playing in the Olympics. They're going to be playing in World Cups. And they're going to be playing in the packed stadium. So, so get there soon. So it's definitely a huge huge move forward and, and, and Austin probably was hit one of the worst of, of, of having those growing pains for sure. This week's American Rugby Show was brought to you by Gilly's Legendary Lager. A lager this crushable doesn't come around that often. Let's find out. I stand by that statement. Utah hosting San Diego, and the buzz was there. We talked about it last week of uh, this is definitely going to be the Western Conference game of the week. Um, had everybody, you know, on the edge of their seats, and what an atmosphere they had in Utah. Utah coming away with an 80-minute-plus uh, try to win the game, 45-41, to 41, Utah victorious. What a game. Um, I mean, where do you guys want to start on this? Hodley, I know you want to pick up the ball. I don't know. Have we got time to cover it all? What a game. That's got to be the best MLR game ever. We say that every other week here, but we've said it, it, this is like for high stakes, high scoring, lead changes, drama, different kind of things going on. The, I don't think there's anything, ever been anything like it. That was quite, the crowd, the field, the setting... It was just unbelievable. So, yeah, there's a lot to get into. What was our prediction last week? Uh, wasn't it, it was Utah by four, seven tries to six, wasn't it? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I picked Utah and you picked San Diego, but, you know, we don't want to, <laughs> don't so, want to yeah. brag about it too yeah. much. But, no, uh, Rob, I agree with you, mate. This was the most exciting game of MLR there's ever been. Like, it had a little bit of everything. Um, it had st uh, stuff to play for and massive implications that like we talked about in the West Coast. And Utah really have given that San Diego surge a bit of a puncture um, on their way to trying to make the playoffs with that turnaround and result. Because to be honest, I thought San Diego for 60 odd minutes looked very good away from home. Some of the defensive uh, sets where they defended their goal line consistently uh, after, uh, you know, under pressure from, from Utah, who kept kicking the corner and kept trying to either scrum or, or, or take some opportunity and weren't getting rewards, I thought was really impressive. And the game plan of, you know, not kicking poorly and, and giving Teo Cruz easy sort of ins back with counterattack until, uh, you know, a moment of madness around the, you know, the mid 60 minutes from Inglesis where he puts that chip over. And that was really all it needed to finally get the uh, Teo Cruze sort of show going. And that sort of put some juice in the tank for Utah and sort of was a spark that ignited their sort of uh, resurgence in the second half. They, they were down 17 points with, you know, sub 15 minutes ago. And that was definitely a turning point, you know, lit the fuse, had that combination that the rugby network always talks about and what the fans always talk about, what rugby Americans always talk about is that Cruze Teo combination and uh, found the try line and uh, they didn't look back. Yeah, it, it's so right what you say, Corbs, about how it's 60 minutes, 17 points up, you're like, Legion are just too experienced. Uh, they've got the game plan and they're just strangling the life out of them. And it was almost so, because, you know, they'd done things like They'd scored from Otti Pifoletti, great power play. You know, they're just, they're just powerful around the, the try line, you know. Uh, they'd score Dean Muir from a line-out drive. Again, they, get, they, get, they just game manage uh, and manage the areas of the pitch and then they strike. After half-time, when they came out and they just go line-out, midfield target, pick and go, pick and go, pick and go, pick and go, Joe Peterson, drop goal. You're like, the, the game's done. They're just too clever. They're too powerful. Uh, and too experienced. And they're just going to keep doing these things. And then, you know, they waited and they, they obviously pounced uh, from turnovers. Uh, I think um, Marani uh, off the shift uh, and Basson were co uh, combining. And I think 
obviously they scored the two tries with 14 men, uh, which was bizarre because they got 14 men and the, the cameras cut away, but I think they missed the kick to touch. And then Cam Clark scores a few phases later. And it's kind of like, so they've done the basics, they've strangled the game, they've defended well on the try line, and, and, and now they're putting the game to bed and they're actually running away from the opposition. Very San Diego Legion at their peak, that was their performance. Then all of a sudden, they got a turnover when Utah were attacking. 17 points up, 15 minutes to go. Again, very sensible. They slowed it down, they went pick and go, pick and go, pick and go. And then Iglesias chips. The most un-San Diego-like thing in that situation, just kick long and transfer the pressure, you're done. But he chips, I think, lads, it was almost like, the game's done, why not? We might score another try with 17 points up. If they score, it doesn't really matter. And then it goes Cruze to Teo and it's game on. And then uh, obviously they lost Ethan McVeigh. Listen, the first thing we must say, and it isn't the first thing, because we babbled on because the game was so exciting, but hope Ethan McVeigh's okay because that was that was a nasty. It was accidental clash. He's tough and he's played really well for them. So hope him and his family, you know, they're doing okay. Um, I, I, just to interrupt, I, I did see him make a make a voice message on uh, the San Diego Legion, you know, social media, brilliant. and it, it was it was great. I mean, what a what a stand up. I mean, he's he he is a poster boy for MLR yeah. for San Diego of through the academy through before even academies existed through mm-hmm. you know just a sponge learning off of everybody. And, uh, you know, obviously he had a bit of a head incident, um, but he, he came out today and said, you know, it, it, was, it, it looked more serious than it was. I feel great, everything else, saying all the good things, put me back in coach and- uh, <laughs> Get me back I, in the game. But it was great to see that, that, he, that he was fine. And, and yeah. this is one of the things I thought as well is, is that obviously they had to weather Denoyshin uh, with the, the yellow. So they had no nine uh, sort of near the end, even though they scored the two tries, had to weather that. And then when McVeigh got injured, they weren't allowed to bring a substitute back on. But then I saw, they want to see Brian Ray's tweet from Rugby Americas, basically saying that world rugby laws are basically saying that they should have been able, because it was a head injury, to bring the nine back on. Did anyone see that? But, no, but but it was, it was the other one wasn't. I, I think it, it gets really confusion as you, as you saw. I think with uh, you know Saracens and and Bristol and or you know all all these sort of uh, things on on if you come off. Lamb. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I mean, if you come off, if it's tactical, if it's injury, and you know if it's already making a sub, I saw Cecil Africa jump in there. You know, playing that playing that nine position. So obviously not his uh, preferred preferred spot. But uh, you know, you know, with the laws of the game, if someone's coming off, and that that's there is always a bit of a, a gray area, and you can always fine tune it. But uh, you know, it's, it's all said and done. No, and then I think when you look at San Diego as well, like Rob, I think you were bang on the way they just the simplicity in their game plan at times it was beautiful to see. I thought the way they pick and go, the way they played to their strength, the way they, when they got down to the 22, they just looked so clinical and physical and direct. Uh, it, it was amazing to see. And that's why you know, Piffoletti for me is, is, is getting, is got to be in the Eagles equation long-term with some of these performances. We're finally getting to see them string some 80 minute games together and he's standing out some of the moments he's having, uh, across the board for me there. I like that drive as well. I think Legion have probably one of the best shift drives in the in the comp. They're really good. You know, they've got a lot of experience, savvy forwards in that pack now. And just the, the little details around that mole uh, was tidy to see. And also on that note, Corbs, uh, the Basson try as well, it was like a line out, pick and go, pick and go, change direction. So again, a lot in MLR, you're seeing like, how do you break down Atlanta? How do you break down Austin and the line speed? Well, you've got to mix the game up. And sometimes if they are having width and going uh, and coming up and cutting off the edge, then take them on a little bit, retreat, narrow them up, and then go wide with a sweet play. Um, and again, at that point, you're thinking, San Diego just too smart. But that being said, you've got to give like so, so, so much credit to this Utah team. Because also there were times in the game where San Diego Legion line speed in the first half was really catching Utah behind the gain line. 
Uh, and Utah settled things down on halfway. Basker puts up a box kick and Peterson drops it in the backfield and they and they have possession in the 22. Things that we've been sort of saying, you know, you should do that against um, Atlanta maybe and challenge Colsey in the backfield. Um, so Utah were, were, had a smart plan as well and they made like 900 uh, run metres in the game. This is a team that has never beaten San Diego Legion. They've never beat them ever in the history of MLR. Um they just scored the most points that San Diego Legion's ever conceded in the MLR. Um, and that's against a defence that we're saying was doing well at times in the game, but they still scored 45. Uh, and it's a team that they don't train full-time, guys. They don't, they're not training all day. They've got a lot of players that are out to work. I was speaking to Mikey Teo this morning. Uh, he's loving it there. He's having a great time. He says they've got a great bond between the lads. It's very family-orientated. Sean Pittman and Sean Davis are doing a great job. Um... They're training in the evening. That's not like a lot of the MLR teams. They're full professional program training, you know, all day resting in the evening. So even more credit to to what they've achieved. Hugely, mate. I I, I think the belief in the side, the spirit, like the the camaraderie is there, mixed with a great home field, uh, you know, crowd and atmosphere. Like there's so much. Uh, they deserve a big round of applause for because I thought the crowd was it just made the whole game even better like having a crowd like that that's invested in the best game that is the most exciting with everything at stake like it was just the perfect representation if you were like hey watch MLR rugby fans around the world this is the game that I would show them to say hey come check out this league it's it's got something something special going on at the moment What about the hits? I mean, the two avowal hit on uh, Lutz. And Lutz is a strong carrier. Whoa, that's one of the best oh. first up tackles I've seen. She, and then uh, Paddy Ryan and Piffoletti on the double tackle. <laughs> like, if you're an American crowd, like, you've got the tries, the action, the breaks, the drama, the big hits. I mean, you can't ask for more. Agreed. And then two of Al the other way, you know, with the, again with the change direction play, he makes the big break and scores the try. You've got Tyler Fisher running hard and breaking tackles. Um, and then obviously at the end there against 14 men, what a decision to go for it, lads. And again, talk about American mentality. A tie is nothing. Because like, I was thinking the tie is better for Utah than San Diego because they keep the seven point gap. But if they don't, if they lose by taking that decision, then Legion really close the gap. Uh, but you know, ballsy. They said, like, we're going to go for it against forty men," and then Mikey, uh, Mikey finds the space out to James Farfelli on the corner. Oh, that's superb, mate! I-, I was screaming, "Take the three and just take the draw and walk away!" That you know, unbelievable. That's because you're English. That's because you're English. That's because you're English. We, we would yeah. never go for that. You know, I'm. You know, tying is like kissing your sister. It's not. Uh, you know, you definitely don't brag about it. You don't want. There to be footage on it. That's what <laughs> yeah. That's what so, overtime but, was I mean, invented what, for in America. Yeah. <laughs> what a game. Well, I mean, what an absolute game. It did not disappoint. And, uh, you know, I mean, the excitement that we're talking about it and just sort of, you know, it's, it's a game that you can definitely watch, uh, rewatch again and, and, and sell the merits. Like you said, if, if you want to, you know, introduce rugby, hey, check this game out because it definitely had it all. Yeah. And also just as an advert for rugby, like we spoke last week, saying, you know, just a fun debate, like how many Utah players would get in the Legion team? And I still say, if you, if you wanted to, going to start a franchise at the start of this season and you look at names and what they've done in their past, there's not many lead, uh, Utah forwards, for example, that would get in the Legion pack. Now, those forwards have played brilliantly, obviously, for Utah this year. But on paper, if you're starting a franchise, it's not like if you go, uh, you know, solid career versus a lot of super rugby caps, solid career versus a lot of international caps like, and you go down the list like that. Um, so it's incredible what they've built. And then to add to that, they get the last minute win against old glory, the last minute win against Seattle, the last minute win here. I mean, that is really, really special what that group's putting together. And, you know, for Legion, we said having the best, supposedly the, the better players on paper, it doesn't define whether you win the game or not because our sport is so much about the team and the group environment. And that's the beauty of it. And perhaps, despite those big names, Legion just, we said last week, their downfall might be they just haven't had enough time together. So that Utah team's been together throughout the whole season, growing and learning together. Legion have slotted big names in, but in the pressure moments, maybe they didn't quite know how to respond to each other or, you know, we don't know. But, um, but... 
it's just fantastic for what Utah have achieved and uh, Leeds and I think hopefully will still continue to get better for the rest of the season as they spend more time together. New York on their new field, hosting Atlanta. This was the East Conference game of the week that we were talking about that had a bunch of hype and uh, the host came away with a victory, 31-24 to over Atlanta. Corbsy, what you got? East Coast tussle here. One versus two. We knew it was going to come down to the wire. These two teams both on sensational form. And, it, you know, Rooney, fair play to them because they were under a little bit of the ringer, I thought, um, you know, from Atlanta at times, getting stuck in under that pressure, having to, you know, to defend some big sets. And I thought some of the the sort of uh, defensive stops from them in their 22 for, for Atlanta, who have a very dangerous sort of mole pick-and-go direct carry was quite impressive from Rooney. I, the, the, I thought Atlanta threw the kitchen sink at them at, at some times. There's a little bit of detail to get on uh, as we ca- carry on breaking this game down. But then on a whole, I think you've got to credit Rooney and the tries they were able to score. You know, actually scoring from further out, I think playing around the halfway line and getting some good reward from line breaks and finishing those. Um, you know, a, you know, a nice bit of kick return work from uh, Thakabalavu there, which, you know, wasn't the worst kick from from uh from Atlanta but I felt like the chase was a little bit poor and the bounce sort of you know gave Thakabalavu a bit of an option to take the first defender and once he did that um you know a fantastic try uh, to finish by Pryor there with some some absolute gas and I think it was a big win for Rooney and I think if you're looking across big win for Rooney uh, Atlanta not far away still it is a tough out to beat them regardless you know how well you play they all just keep keep going and keep going and then I think maybe the the injuries for Rooney are the probably the other note I think Ellis hopefully isn't out for too long but that's a big loss for for them I thought they handled the injuries in the game well but I think long term when you look into their run into the playoff some key personnel prior as well looked like he was holding a hamstring or something as he come off these are guys that Rooney will want to get back on the field uh soon in in in, in this run-in but on, on a whole you've got to really credit the, the win for them they have some dangerous sort of strike runners in power and I think they handled the Atlanta game plan quite well with some of the experience they have out there too yeah obviously um the Thapkapalavu and prior combination try was fantastic and then something you don't see um you know, you don't see that disconnection in the kick chase too often from Atlanta. And then also um, the McManus try. McManus came on for Ellis and he's really growing in that nine role under Marty Veal and Marty Burke there. Um, but for his try, uh, Furtai made the break through the middle, but it was a gaping hole because O'Keefe jumped out of line. And I, we've never seen that disconnection between him and Waitokia before. He he jumped out line, didn't kill the play, and New York really were handed that one on a plate. It was good good uh, inside support by McManus, but they really didn't have to do anything to create that try. And maybe it's a sign that, you know, Atlanta, you know, they did come off a bye week, but maybe they're a little bit tired. You just haven't seen those mistakes on the kick chase and just in the third phase there. So, um, but New York are primed to take advantage of things like this. You know, I think we both predicted that New York would win this one. Um, and they're very strong and they, they've got their own very own Lerone White in um, in uh, James Rochford. But I, I'm sure he was a bit happy. The try line came a bit sooner for him. But it was a critical try, that one, because the game was really in the balance. Huge, and I think that's what Rooney Rooney did really well, was like respond with scores at key times. Like key times where Atlanta closed the gap and you were like, oh, how's it going to go? And Rooney would put the kick kick up off. uh, A lot of the time got that ball back and then struck straight away as such. And and that Rochford Kai came straight off the kickoff. I believe there's another time where where they struck back similar-esque as well. And, And... I thought that was a key factor in, in Rooney's, you know, the, the timing of some of their tries and, and the way it sort of just kept them ahead of the game. And and I think one of the things you've got to look at is Atlanta, when they're ahead on the scoreboard, are a lot harder to deal with than when they're chasing. I think because yeah. a team like that, that don't like to overly attack, if you can get ahead and build a score on them, you know, you might catch them out a little bit at times because they have to chase that game a bit more. Yeah, it's true because, and again, if you look at how they uh, create, it's generally from the power situations. Obviously, Van Redsburg, uh, Momsen, uh, obviously Dam's very dangerous in those areas. Um, but it tends to be those tries. So they've got to be controlling. Uh, they've got to be controlling the tempo. 
and to try and attack from deep or try and strike wide, it's not really their, their nature. Um, and just a note on the power game, it was also really important. Ellis held up uh, Van Rensburg over the line early on. Again, you know, we don't know a lot could have changed after that. We're talking about that in the game earlier with Threat and Palamo. But, I mean, Ellis is just body on the line every week. He's phenomenal for that group. And uh, Van, Van Rensburg actually got turned over. He knocked one on over the line in the second half as well. And Rob, I um, want to so actually jump been... in on that because I actually, these are some <laughs> of the things I love about Atlanta. Yeah, I think the way they stopped, there's three key stops off of Atlanta Malls was a big sign that Rooney had them frustrated and they were desperate to get that win. And I think it was massive moments for me. Those three stops allowed sort of Rooney to win that game, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's one of the things that makes Rooney so dangerous. You see, they're very, very well drilled. Um, and they've done uh, Atlanta twice now, home and away. And uh, you, you've got to you've got to favour them. They look very strong uh, for the rest of the comp here. As you said, the the big the main things are going to be the injuries. They have got big injuries out: Leguizamon, Pryor, and Ellis. So it's going to be uh, that changes the picture somewhat. We're going to see, have to see how they react. And in fact, if you add Hollingshead into that, just about to. That's four of your main main players. Uh, and uh, you know they've got. They haven't again. They haven't got the biggest resources there. They've only really got two two coaches on the ground, uh, and then the senior players. So again, they're doing a phenomenal job there in New York, and we'll, we'll have to see if they can uh, sort of maintain that energy. Yeah, I think they got away with not having. Um you know, Hollingshead because they've had Ellis to sort of with Bennett to to steer the ship. And now you're missing Ellis. If you don't have Hollingshead back this week, two more inexperienced nine and 10, That that's probably the worry for me at Rooney there. New England Free Jacks hosting Seattle and they remain unbeaten at home, coming away with a 25 to 21 victory over the Seawolves. Uh, a much improved Seawolves, but just wasn't enough on the day. Corbs, give it to me. I, I think you got to credit Seawolves are, are a much improved side. I think uh, changes in personnel, uh, you know, definite uh, upgrade in some of their sort of, you know, what they're doing at scrum time, the line out, the game plan. Like, I, I do think they look really improved. And I think they took their chance as well and, and, and did a good job at, at keeping it ahead. But I think the Free Jacks, the win streak at home continues um, the control on the game that they had uh, was evident. They just weren't getting the rewards for it a lot of the time. They were having possession, uh, just not getting um, the, the tries they needed. And then I think Seattle then gifted them the last try that they needed with the overthrow at the line out, uh, which then led to the last try for, for, for Free Jackson. And, and they rescued the game and they get the win. And they keep themselves alive in the in the East. And, uh, you know, they are really, if any of the top two slip up, they are the sort of uh, dark horse contender who is right there in the waiting uh, with it, with a good set of home games as well on this run-in. Well, I mean, home games are definitely uh, the difference because I know that they're tied as well in third uh, with, with NOLA. And NOLA's all away games. Uh, they're having the home games. So you, you, if you're a betting man, you definitely want to, you'd go for that New England side. Holy, what, uh, what were your takes on that one? Yeah, yeah, and again, they, they just continue to build. They haven't lost at home. You know, it's the classic uh, New England, you know, Wacker with a nice cross kick uh, for Wilson. Great to see Wilson back in the mix. A fantastic young player. Um, you've got uh, the middle scrum overload to Barlow on the left. A nice play. Um You've got uh, the chip for Barlow, which ruled offside, which was unfortunate in the second half. There, you couldn't see uh, you couldn't see on the footage whether he was offside, but it was another lovely little play. They're very they they are inventive and they are creative, uh, but ultimately it comes down to the overthrown lineout by um, by Seattle. I mean, Seattle. If you look at it right, they are improving right in the last few weeks. They've won two games all season, Seattle. Two out of uh, they've uh, lost eleven. And they've won two. I mean, that, that it's just, it's unbelievable. But if you think through, they should have beaten Rooney. If they'd had a kicker, they would have beaten Rooney at home, right? Like, they missed three easy kicks and one at the end of the game. They could have beaten Utah last week, but for a try after the 80th minute. And they should have won this one if they could win their own line out on the five-meter line. If that had happened, they'd have won the same amount of games as San Diego Legion. And we're talking about Legion potentially uh, being in it, although it's a bit of a stretch uh, now. Um, but that just goes to show the fine margins. And we talked about it last week when the 
when you don't quite know how to win, you find a way to lose. But they're not far off and they're going to be in the thorn in the side of the teams that are trying to uh, go for the uh, playoffs here. They're going, to, they're going to knock someone off here, Seattle. They're going to put it together. Yamada looks a good signing. Dewey's a good signing. Um, I, I, I think they are trending in the right direction. It's just a shame, like too little, too late when you look at the, the grand scheme of things. But at the same time, yeah, I, I think at home, they've got a few big teams in the West to play I think still they'll probably you know trouble someone in those games I think just because they are gonna I, I don't think their best performance we've seen it yet ju- judged on what I'm seeing from week to week I am noticing the improvements which you got to credit the coaching no, staff and the changes there yeah no absolutely I mean it goes all the way to the ownership group and the and, and the big people that are in there and the people that have been there for the long time so I mean yeah we've been saying it for a few weeks they, they are improving they're improving um they are going to knock somebody off they haven't done it yet. I I do agree that they that they will uh, have it, but a little bit too late. No, it's it's a lot too late, unfortunately. You know, but uh, they they are you know just uh, just ahead of uh, Houston, both with two wins. So it is unfortunate with having the champions. You know, having a struggle of a year, but uh, it's a rebuilding year for a lot of teams, and and we're lucky to have the season. And no doubt with uh, their ownership group and their core value core values and core players. That, uh, that they'll be back next year for sure. We had the top of the table, LA host the bottom of the table, Houston, which uh, I think everybody predicted it, even uh, the, the Houston crowd that was there, that, that made the journey, uh, the body language coming through, the coaches, they, they, they knew that they were up against it. Um, I was lucky enough to be there, sideline, um, good crowd opening up more and more and more, pride night, celebrating everything. Gillis was uh, was on tap. Everybody enjoying themselves, and uh, they got all the fans got rewarded with 52 points to uh, Houston's five. So it's a bit of a one side affair. Um, Corbsy, you have anything to add on that one? The Giltinis are back to the Coliseum and and playing some some pretty rugby and some nice stuff that w- we've come to see from them. I thought it was good. You know, Houston are, are are poor in this league, so that you can't take too much away from it. But I thought, you know. Areas at the set piece that need to tighten up from the Guillotines as they get into some of these big games. But I think I like the way they controlled the game. Uh, I, I think they could have just run from everywhere and tried to score the whole time. But I thought they kept Houston in their half. They kicked a little bit cleverly uh, a, a number of times. Um, Goddard's boot was was very good at keeping sort of Houston in their in their half at times. And I think that was sort of the layers that I, that was good to see from them. I think they almost nailed them, which would have been more fitting in the game, but finally gave in near the end. But, you know, some decent impact off the bench from some, some guys with a, a very little experience, which is another positive sign uh, for LA. And I think for Houston, it, it you know, sums up a, a poor season where, you know, now I've got the announcement that the head coach will be moving on at the end of the season. And there's not a lot of things positively to say other than maybe a a few good scrums in the middle of the game, especially in that first half. There's not many um, good things to say about that performance from a Houston point of view. They just didn't look at the pace uh, of play that Giltinis could keep it at. Yeah, I I mean, Houston's, you know, lost their way. You know, we kind of look at the the bottom of the table because we talk more about obviously playoffs and the top of the table. But we talked, you know, right before uh, this, this was uh, Seattle. Seattle's only two points ahead of Houston, and you kind of can see what's in that atmosphere, you know, that fight, that drive, everything else. Um, and, and it's just, you just don't see that. But hopefully, I mean, they have what we've talked about, the infrastructure, they have the community, they have the stadium, they have everything else uh, on it. They just have not been performing. So um, no doubt they will be a, a force in Major League Rugby. In the coming years, but uh, it's 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 gonna it's gonna they're gonna have to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, it was almost like a warm up game, wasn't it? Coming off the bye for LA, uh, they got the chance to get Bryce back in, which is huge uh, for LA, um, and it went exactly as expected. Uh, the game really. What about Corbs? Uh, could you talk about the young fellas you had coming off the uh, Glendale XO program uh, because that's pretty interesting. No, exactly, Rob. I think um, LA have resource, you know, some players from the the Colorado crossovers as you know a new team and not had time to really build too much depth or 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 depth like deeper training squads from maybe home based players. Um, the crossovers have been an amazing program of, of resources, of talent, and and we signed, 
you know, maybe about two months ago now, uh, Ma'ake Mute at Tight Ed, who's, you know, uh, Hawaiian, Tongan heritage, uh, foot, a very successful college football career. Coming back to rugby, he had a fantastic performance off the bench. I thought his scrum was exceptional. He had some great involvements around the park. Amazing experience for these guys to have so early on their rugby journey, but high athletic potential to, to, to be almost fast-tracked into sort of this level of rugby and to be able to do well is amazing credit to Colorado, the Exos, the program. It's great for USA rugby, and it's also great for the MLR in LA that they're, they're building its depth and, and discovering this new talent, which never would have been discovered had it not been for we're here and the other place in is uh, is Jillian Robinson who I think this was his ninth game of rugby this guy was a standout three sport athlete at college um, played in the XFL in football last year has played high level football and a high level wrestler has come in he's he, he's thrown in the line out he's scrummed he's played well you know for, for first game in the MLR and your ninth game of rugby whatever it is believe like that's unbelievable achievement and for them to come on and get this experience and to go well uh, it was it was a massive bolster to see and, and they deserve a shout out for that and credit LA and credit the XOs and credit those uh, individuals for that I gotta chime in as well just because I was on the sideline and I, uh, you know, saw, and obviously this is going to be very foreign to them, um, you know, sort of, you know, the rugby, you know, community and how it is, how it is. They were fitting in. Those guys are humble. Those guys are hardworking. See them in around. And those guys uh, are happy to be here. They don't think they're better than anybody else. They want to just learn. And, uh, you know, and, and like you, you gave credit to, to Colorado. I mean, with Mark Bullock, you know, Mike Donovan doing all those sort of things. Uh, is going to make the difference, and and it's going to continue the 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 great athletes that MLR is is producing. Those guys are going to be a huge feeder team, and they already are proving it to it because of uh, such a such skinny uh, squads and uh, you know awesomeness all around. And so great to see, and and I love I love just watching guys you know for the first time in high performance environments of rugby and and getting tested to their limits. And, you know, coming away successful, hitting all their line outs, scrumming, winning their ball, uh, making tackles. Their lateral movements are just, you know, different than, than a rugby guys. So, you know, and, and just their, their pure joy and, and being part of it and being around the boys and the boys accepting them. It's, uh, it's definitely a huge victory for, for American rugby. Here's where we, again, we've talked about it before, we keep it uniquely American. Uh, with the World Cup and with the MLR now, we start attracting some of these athletes that think, hang on, I can I can make a, a living here and I can like be on a world stage. Uh, and it's fantastic. See, obviously, front row is pretty hard to, to convert corps, but you see the likes of Aaron Mitchell, who had played uh, rugby uh, gr- growing up, or Sione Tulelamaka or Tucci uh, at Utah. These are football guys, and that you're know, coming into the front. It's, it might take five, six years, but they've got time on their side. You can you can mature at a later age in the front row, um, and you know, with their athletic prowess, a couple of years under good coaching, it's it's actually uh, very exciting to see what these young men can achieve. Hugely. Let's go over the round 14 MLR preview. We got some uh, some good games on hand. Let's uh, let's probably talk about the game of the week of the first. We have Utah traveling to New York. I mean, that's going to be a massive, massive game. Both, you know, in playoff contention in the top two positions. What uh, what do you got for us, Hodes? Predictions, thoughts? Yeah, it's a real tough one here because I would say New York. Um, but for the injuries makes it really interesting. Utah, I just think emotionally coming off the Seattle, uh, Seattle away win last minute, the, the San Diego last minute win, and then traveling, it's tough. I'll, I'll stick with uh, Rooney. I think they can squeak this one out. But the, the, the importance of these games for Utah is uh, they then play Houston, which they should win, but then they play ATL and LA the last two games. So they've just, they've, I think they need at least two or three wins Two will get them ahead of Legion. Three might be enough to get them ahead of Austin. Um, so it's a big one for them, but I think Rooney will squeak it. Corbzy, what are your thoughts on this one? I think Rooney probably deserved to be favourites, but again, the injuries lead me to Utah. And then the other thing that leads me to Utah is the fact that it's on turf. I, I think that their ball carriers, the momentum they can get there, I think they're a very hard team. 
to beat on turf. And I think maybe without Ellis there, I think New York are going to have to kick very cleverly. It, it, you showed that San Diego did it for 60 odd minutes and then it came back to bite them when you get it wrong. I think because Utah know that they have to really win those games uh, before their big players leave, I think they empty the tank again. And I think this could be one of the first times a West Coast team <laughs> travels east and, and, and puts in a, a big performance and gets a win. Uh, definitely. It's definitely going to be the game of the week. And I'm definitely looking forward to it without a doubt. Next game we're going to preview is Nola traveling to Toronto, a.k.a. Atlanta. This is another uh, another game that Nola is uh, is away, but it's more of a neutral ground. Holy, what are your picks on this one? You've, you've got to go Nola just because they're 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 in the fight. They've got a game in hand on Atlanta. If they win this with a bonus point and Atlanta lose, they're only two points behind Atlanta. Uh, and again, we're saying they've got the tough away schedule, but if they keep winning, they keep winning. Uh, and uh, you know, maybe Toronto put it together and, and get back to the... They score 50 against Seattle, 50 against New York. Maybe they put one of those games together. But I, I just think that they're, they're drained. They're drained physically and emotionally. And I think Nola can go away. If they get a bonus point, they're bang right up, back in the mix in the East. 100%. Corbsey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you Nola know, have something to play for. So I think that immediately puts them in the favorites category to me but then there's just something about me that thinks the arrows even though that their home is atlanta they've been getting a little bit of a, a beating i feel like they're gonna score some nifty tries against nola because nola occasionally have some defensive shockers and 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 i think mm. toronto went quite well down at nola's as well so I'm going to go out on a limb and seeing as this MLR predictions is as hard as it gets, I'm going to go for Toronto. I'm, I'm changing course mid-convo. Next game, we have Houston traveling to Atlanta. Um, I think uh, I think all of us and every predictions is going to be uh, be one-sided. Is anyone going to be proven, uh, proven wrong? Holy, who you got? I think Corbs. He just went for the uh, underdog, so maybe Corbs wants to pick Houston here. I can't rescue that Houston dog in this one, lads. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's Rugby ATL's game. Uh, fortunately for Houston, I should say. I just think a lot of the things Houston don't do well, Atlanta do do really well. Game control, uh, pressure, Houston's sort of exits in their own half sometimes can let them down. Uh, their lack of creativity and attack at times. Atlanta, you know what you're going to get with them. I think they keep Houston in their half. I think they reap the rewards. And I think Houston are like a perfect team to get like rinse, wash, repeat of what Atlanta do very well. Yeah, I think uh, five points here for... Atlanta and they're basically uh, they're almost there for a, a semi-final slot because then you've got to get five points to not lose more ground to them with a, one less game only three games left so I think they get five points and then I think that that's it then they'll either finish first or second next game we're going to preview is Austin traveling up to Seattle and uh, this is going to be interesting because both of you guys have been talking about Seattle is going to be plucking somebody they're they're well improved they still got a lot of fight to them. They got a lot of proof. They, they're, they're going home to their fans. Um, you know what? So, Corbs, I'm going to throw it to you first. What, uh, what, what's your take on the Austin-Seattle game? What's your prediction? This is a tough one to call. Uh, I think Austin riding all the momentum should be favored. But as we said earlier in the pod, Seattle at home will turf someone. And this is one of the teams that I think they might turf. Like I, I think they have a a good enough sort of spine and structure to their team to not just get completely sterilized like some teams do. I think the set piece, they'll be reasonably competitive. Um, I think they'll be able to sort of handle themselves in the kicking game at times. They have the strike runners to score tries. Unless Austin just come out of the blocks firing, I'm going to pick uh, a tight, tight victory for Seattle in this one. Jose, what are your thoughts, buddy? <laughs> am I too predictable or what? I'm not going to make much money at the bookies back in the favourites, am I? But I, I will say uh, Austin, just because, again, there's more on the line. Uh, Seattle are kind of trying to do what Austin do, but just they're like nine, eight or nine weeks behind them in the process uh, with the new coaching staff. Uh, and I think Austin are looking at this week saying that they're licking their chops saying we... We're five points behind Utah and Utah are traveling all the way across to Rooney. 
if they slip up and we get four or five points here, we close the gap. And I think it's uh, it's a massive, it's a really intriguing game here uh, for for because of that. And so I think Austin will will get four or five points here and get up into the forties in in the league standings. It'll be a good game no matter what, for sure. We have the Los Angeles Guiltinis traveling down the coast to San Diego, back in front of fans. Um, this one is definitely going to be one of the top games to go live, to watch online. No doubt the atmosphere is going to be there. No doubt that San Diego is going to come up showing. Um, I know LA is, you know, definitely want to keep that top spot and want to keep their record in California unbeaten. Um, I'm going to go to you, Hoadley. You know, what are your thoughts on this game coming up? It's just, it's the same thing. Legion are still in it. <laughs> they just stay in it because if they win this week, they go to like one, depending again, depending on bonus points, maybe one point behind Austin and play Austin next week. So they could, in two weeks, they could get above Austin. Uh, and we know Utah have got a very tough end, end uh, to the season. Plus they'll use more USA players, more impactful USA players. So if... If Legion win this, you'd almost back them because they've got they've got Seattle and uh, OG's last two games as well. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Who's got the minerals to back uh, San Diego here? Have <laughs> I? I've been non-committal. I'm going to see what Corby says. Fence Um Listen, <laughs> yeah. I think this is a game that's going to be very close. I don't think it'll be anything yeah. like the first game between these two. I think San Diego no. are a completely different animal. Um, I think they at times will get success from their style of play against um, LA. I, I think that the kicking game will, will, will be key for them. I think the the physicality in, dispense, uh, in defense and the line speed that, you know, Atlanta showed a lot of what Atlanta did well against uh, LA. I think Legion going to look to do in, in winning the collisions, putting pressure on them, slowing their ball down and and I also think LA can score tries because I think Legion's defense still leaves opportunities to score tries. Probably the biggest deciding factor for me between these two teams is the set piece. I, I think um, if, if LA, uh, whoever gets dominance in the set piece probably wins the game. Like I, I think if they both give each other parity, it's a very, very close game and it could go either way. And if one team gets a clear nudge in, in, the, in the dominance there, I think that that's enough to tip the balance because these are two well-managed teams. Uh, I think the, the, the emotional uh, performance from San Diego being back at Torero finally after waiting for that, the crowd, um, that is, you know, they're going to come out swinging. That's why as much as I'm like, I back LA and I think that like I, I coach there, I think they're fantastic. There are a lot of mitigating factors to what I, I, I think San Diego are going to have a good performance. I'm going to wait to see what Rob predicts on this one. I've given you yeah. my thoughts of the game. I, th I think it's a coin toss. I, I think it really, really comes down yeah. to a few I, key I battles. It, 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 actually, it, actually, it actually might be, might be you know, illegal with you you making a quite prediction, so I won't put you in that uh, spot. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure you'll be working double time uh, this week on your set pieces, uh, scrums and lineups and malls and uh, – and the defense, so uh, I'll keep it. But Ho, do you have any uh, any quick yeah. predictions? On well, my, my question is: Are we getting carried away with uh, LA had a uh, LA lose to an ATL in a close game? As I say, you're not going to go unbeaten. You're going to lose some games. So they lost a close game with a red card. Then they had a weekend off. Then they beat Houston, who they're meant to beat, and everyone's kind of forgotten about them. Is there any other team like Legion eighth in the league nationally? And 15 points behind LA. Is there any other team in that position? We having this debate. Like, Nola a seventh and Old Gloria a ninth. Do we think that they'd go into a game with LA? It's only still because of what we know that San Diego could be and should be, um, you know. But the reality is, you should be looking at this and say it's 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 not really close. But somehow it is, uh, and somehow San Diego st still could get into the semi-finals with with you know just by going on a run um, and knocking off the guys on the west. So, but but no, my answer is LA are the best team in, for a reason. Um, I think they are, you know, a long way uh, above the rest, uh, and I think it's going to be a, a fascinating thing bec event because of Torero, because because of the West Coast rivalry. Um, but uh, I, I think LA are going to have too much. Uh, just again, 
just because of the unity. They've been together a long time and uh, they, they know exactly what they're doing. So uh, I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, I, I really, I think it's going to be tight as well, but I think LA will, LA will get the job done. That was the longest preview of a game. <laughs> the fence, the fence runners. Bobbing and weaving, didn't want to answer. That's what I mean. With any other team there, you'd be like automatic LA win. Uh, but there's something yeah. about it where you're like, San Diego can do it. Exactly. But uh, LA will win, I think. All right, lads. That's a wrap on the round 13's MLR breakdown. Uh, great insights, as always. Lots of analysis to get through from the round 13 results and, and, and all those things for the fans. And then the fact that we get the preview and, and, and give you some insights leading into 14 in what is going to be another exciting round of MLR action. You know, what more can you ask for? For everyone listening and watching, thank you so much for all your support. We really appreciate it. A quick reminder to keep following our content on social media, on Instagram, it's at The American Rugby Show. On Twitter, it's at The Am Rugby Show. Keep checking out. We're pumping out tons of content whether it be from our state of the union shows and bits from our guests reminder last week we had rugby atl's matt heaton and chance wingluski on or whether it be our previews or or breakdowns whatever there's tons of content circulating on our social keep liking it sharing it and keep telling everyone that you know in america who is a rugby fan about this podcast this is the place to go for your in-depth mlr mlr analysis really appreciate all the support from rob Hoadley, Alex Corbacera and Todd Clever. That is a wrap and we'll see you again next week. Lastly, a big thank you for this week's show, which was brought to you by Bet Online. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.